Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello everyone, welcome back to Ausbiz Live from uh, Brangaroo Studios. You've tuned in to the call. 10 stocks picked by you. I put them to our uh, two experts. We do it all in one hour. And look, the sun is shining here outside our Brangaroo Studios. The birds are singing and the market's up. What more do you need in life? That's what I put to Henry Jennings from uh, Marcus Today and Scott Phillips from Motley Fool. Gentlemen, isn't it wonderful? <laughs> so weather-wise, the storm bands are coming. Let's hope mm-hmm. that's not a metaphor for uh, financial markets as well. But uh, things going uh, quite well today, but will it last or not? Uh, uh, this half hour, we're going to be taking a look at LaVisa, JB Hi-Fi, CSR, Orica and Worley. But first up, um, gold price keeping to the commodity of the day theme today. I thought we'd take a look at gold. Gold's on track for its longest winning streak as Treasury bond yields, US Treasury bond yields plunge 19%. Spot gold prices are up uh, 0.1%, but you know, it's heading in the right direction in Asia trade <laughs> after rising 2.4% in, on Monday. If spot gold can close higher on Tuesday, it will be its first six day winning streak in six months. Is sentiment turning on gold? Is it time to look at the gold stocks? Henry Jennings, what do you think? Uh, well, I've never stopped looking at the gold stocks, Koshi. I have to say I've been holding gold for a little while. Um, you know, in, in Aussie dollar terms, the gold price has gone absolutely nowhere for a long, long time. In fact, it's been dribbling upwards because the Aussie's been coming under such pressure. But no one's really cared about that. But, um, of course, the U.S. bullion price rose big time last night, 38 bucks or something. Mm. Uh, the Aussie dollar rose as well. But it has pushed up above $2,600 Aussie and hovering around $1,700 in U.S. terms. I guess we're seeing what happens when the, the great crowded trade unwinds. And we've seen these big crowded trades in U.S. dollars. We've seen big crowded trades in uh, the bond market as well and FX generally. And when that unwinds, it can unravel quite quickly. And we've seen it with oil when it got to 130 and then hit 85, is that once it's sort of the motion starts, um, it really takes on a bit of a, a life of its own. And I suspect we might see uh, the gold stocks and the gold price take on a smidge more um, upside from here. Certainly there will be a lot of people dusting off their gold miners because they do have that leverage to the gold price. And also, we are seeing a bit of a relief in costs in terms of that petrol price or diesel price, probably more specifically in uh, in remote locations coming down. And also COVID uh, consequences with that, that staffing issue that we've seen in WA coming off as well. So I don't think it's a bad place to be. But, you know, gold stocks are there for buying and selling. The, the run doesn't last forever. By the time everyone's going to get really bullish about gold, it will probably be the sign that uh, it's time to get out of them. But uh, certainly at the moment... Uh, I've been uh, holding things like St. Barbara, uh, De Grey, 
uh, Dacian for its entry into uh, Genesis, uh, and also uh, a couple of other little peripheral mining stocks as well, uh, Galileo and Chalice. So they're all doing quite well at the moment, so I'm happy to hold them. But uh, it's remarkable what happens when those when the tide goes out, when those crowded trades, mm -hmm. the crowd all rushes for the exit at once, uh, then things do get interesting. So okay. I think we're seeing that at the moment. So don't get too carried away with gold. Uh, for a hold at the moment, not necessarily get in with new money. Uh, Scott, what's your view? Yeah, Kosh, you know I'm not a huge fan of commodities companies generally or commodities themselves. But if you are going to play the commodity, I always would go the company rather than the metal, or in this case, the metal, other, other case, other commodities. Um, and Henry's right in terms of the way that trade is unwinding. What's interesting is we're seeing the gold price tend to drift away in US dollars at the same time as the stock market is. The old safe haven story isn't playing out, at least at this part of the cycle. Whether or not that reverses uh, as circumstances unfold, as you say, mate, those storm clouds are both literal and metaphorical uh, when it comes to what we might be going through over the next six to 12 months. And we may well see that happen. Uh, Henry's point about, you know, they're not for holding, I think is exactly the right approach in terms of a long-term investing uh, approach. I'd be looking for a lower price as an entry point. Uh, my general preference around playing commodity companies and miners in particular is you want to go in when the price is low because it's closer to the marginal cost of production. Just simply puts the odds further in your favor. Never a guarantee and never permanently, but simply the closer is the marginal cost of production particularly if you get a low-cost producer in the first instance, you've got far, far more protection on the downside. It is also worth saying, by the way, that the most upside comes from those with the worst economics, the worst leverage, because the growth in profit when you're already a marginal producer is astronomical. If you're already a lower-cost producer, you're probably going to have a quality premium already. But I'd rather play that, have some downside protection and significant upside potential, rather than it being a uh, all-or-nothing play on whether or not the, the price continues to go higher. So. I don't love it at the current price. I wouldn't be buying it at the current price personally. Um, as I said, that's generally my view on commodities because I am a long-term investor, but the time to look at them in my view is when the gold price mm. is probably quite a bit lower than it is today. Okay. All right, let's get into our uh, stocks that uh, our viewers have sent in. First up, um, Scott LaVisa, the uh, low-cost jewellery retailer. While everyone's mm. been... Um, sort of tearing their hair out with market crashes over the last three months. LaVisa has gone from $16 up to $25. It's now $22. Uh, it's now in the ASX 200. Um, this is a phenomenal run by a retailer in this market. It's a stunning, stunning success story, Koshi. has just done so incredibly well over the past few years. It's doing a really, really simple thing and doing it very, very, very well. And that is about as much as you can ask a retailer to do. Retail is a really, really easy thing, right? There's nothing complex about it, but that makes it a very difficult thing to do really well because everyone else can do what you can do. To do it better and to stay ahead of the pack, it's really unusual, quite frankly. The list of retail failures or just retail kind of, you know, disappointments is so incredibly long. There are very few that have a long-term track record. JB, Harvey Norman, probably on one hand, Premier Investment, Solomon Lewis Mob uh, on the other. But then think about Harvey Norman, I think about uh, JB, think about Meyer. Uh, think about DJs, think about Mosaic brands. So many others just done such a horrible, horrible job of being differentiated, making a dollar and doing really well. Lovisa has done a spectacular job of knowing its core market and operating really successfully in this space. It takes trends that it finds larger on social media, believe it or not. And then it has a really fast fashion business model where it gets those things made, shipped to store and sold, sometimes within weeks of that trend taking off. They're doing a really, really great job. It does always strike me as one of those things where you're running a million miles an hour just to stand still. 
and they're not that far away from disappointment. It wouldn't take much for them to miss out on a decent trend or to simply get it wrong or be beaten to the punch by a competitor. So it does feel like its moat is pretty thin, but you can't argue with the results. The the growth has been astronomical in terms of sales and share price, by the way. Um, really, really strong business. I, 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 I really struggle to find anything bad to say about the company with the exception, as I said, of that moat being of, of um, indeterminate depth and width. It may well be that this is a business that goes on forever. And the international expansion story, by the way, if it gets that right, um, this is going to be a very cheap share price. But that if is a very big, small word. Um, trading at the moment at 35 times earnings, uh, it has to do a lot right. But the sort of growth rate it's having recently, if it keeps that going for a couple of years, even today's price will be inexpensive. Um, I like it. It's not a buy for me, but I but I probably call it maybe a speculative buy. It's not a term I love. Um, but this is one, if you have a bit of stomach for risk and you think it can keep growing, for an extended period of time, then Lavisha is definitely one mm. to have a look at. Okay, Henry Lavisha. Um, well, this this is a hold for me. I'll say this up front now. This thing's doubled yep. since mm. mid June. It has doubled since mid June. I mean, that is phenomenal. And you've got to remember that Lavisha's customers are completely and utterly immune to interest rates. Mm. 14-year-olds don't have mortgages. You know, it's it's one of those stocks that really rely... It's a bit like nail uh, polish parlours. Um, it's a little treat, doesn't cost a lot, makes you feel really good. And certainly, you know, this is probably more pushed and, and shoved by TikTok than anything else in uh, Instagram pictures and influencers. But it's certainly, it's a quality retailer. Brett Blundy owns 40% of this and his wife owns a little bit as well. This is uh, a, a great Australian success story and it's got massive margins. I think the margins are like 78% gross margins. This this is Jeez. relatively immune to economic cycles because of who its customers are. Of course, those customers need uh, jobs or pocket money to afford their costume jewellery, but it is relatively immune because you know we're not talking big bucks here. Uh, store rollout, of course, US, UK, uh, very very important for these guys, and they haven't got it you know all to themselves in the UK. Having just been there recently and going around the massive Westfield in White City, I mean, which is a huge massive retail space and I believe it's not even as big as the one in Stratford so um, you know it's um, they have got competition with there's a, a mob called accessories which is uh, in competition with these guys but you have to say this is a quality retailer relatively immune from interest rates it's a discretionary spending item that you can afford and makes you feel good makes you look good and by golly it does you good mm. so for me it's a hold only because it has just doubled you know, yeah. from from mid June, uh, and that's telling you something. This has gone parabolic, straight up. Has seen a little bit of profit taking, but realistically, you know, th this is still uh, a, a seriously good retailer hold. Any pullback at all, I think, is uh, is worth yeah, accumulating. Yeah. But at, th at these kind of prices, it's a hold. Twenty two bucks hold. When the, when the, when the market gets smashed and it almost doubles, uh, yeah. that that <laughs> is pretty good going. And I also. Um, uh, sort of liken it to the old uh, lipstick index, wasn't it? When times mm -hmm. are tough and recessions are there, um, lipsticks are just cheap, affordable little yep. treats and um, it was a reflection of the economy. So they're well placed for any sort of recession. Um, Simon, speaking of retailers and quality retailers, uh, Henry Simon wants to be on JB Hi-Fi, uh, the big um, uh, furniture uh, retailer that's always been a dar uh, not 
uh, furniture retailer, but the big uh, appliance retailer and entertainment retailer? Geez, Koshi, we're jumping around. My notes had uh, had Cube next, but anyway, we'll, we'll jump around. Oh, I've got say. I've got Cube right at the end. So oh, hold Cube. Right. Well, that's, that's it's cool. not going we'll to be lost. The worst to- We'll, we'll save the worst to last anyway. Okay. JB Hi-Fi, <laughs> um, they have uh, stumbled, I guess, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, they are a discretionary spending item. We're also seeing, you know, Apple starting to ratchet down slightly uh, their production because of the, the lack, I guess, a slight lack of demand for some of their new products. And, of course, JB Hi-Fi is one of those companies that does benefit from uh, the technology upgrades. Most people have done that through COVID and work from home. Also, it benefits, of course, from housing booms as people re, uh, re-white good their homes, etc., and buy new dishwashers from the good guys. So uh, it's, it's a quality retailer, but you'd have to think that at the moment, the headwinds are there, both uh, economically and on the housing front as well, uh, to make it a little bit out of favor. It is quality. They've done a spectacularly good job, uh, and the stock is trading uh, well off its highs. I mean, it got to mm. 46 bucks uh, at the beginning of August, and here we are at $39. So we are uh, somewhat off its highs, $54 earlier this year, 55, 56 bucks. So um, you know, it, it's you wouldn't be selling it, that is for sure. But it does face headwinds. I think you know it will improve if we see this continued rally in the market because everything will get dragged higher, and people will look around for stocks that have lagged. And this, of course, is one of them, quality retailer. But you have to think that economic winds are slightly blowing in their face at the moment. Interest rate rises, and we got the RBA this afternoon, of course. But interest rate rises generally uh, are going to take the wind out of their sails, especially when those fixed rate mortgages start to fall away. So, um, but spring is coming. November is uh, is uh, all those sort of uh, Thanksgiving, all those double click kind of days, and all those. Uh, uh, things where people rush out and buy stuff. Yep. I know that in the US, but we do get a bit of that here and, and shop early for Christmas. And they're probably carrying a little bit more inventory than necessary uh, because of that. So it, it's a mild positive buy, but certainly a hold. You wouldn't be selling it, but right. uh, let's face headwinds. Okay, so a hold for you. Yeah. Uh, Scott? Yeah, I'll be a bit more bullish than, than Henry Koshy. I think it's a buy. I think it's just simply too cheap to ignore for all of the quality reasons that you guys have, have talked about and, and the uh, the long-term future of this business. It's not going to be able to grow as fast as it has in the past, um, largely because you know it, it and Harvey Norman have pretty much colonised the electronics space. Other players, of course, besides. But when you think about JB, plus, of course, the good guys that it owns as well, um, I, I, you know, it's, it's a remarkably good retailer, a very good retailer. I think it has... Uh, pretty much a lock on being the, the preeminent electronics retailer in the country. Now, there are online challenges. There are going to be economic challenges, of course, over the next six, 12 months, probably. Uh, but if I look out a couple of years, and I, I think you're buying this at eight, eight and a half times, I think, uh, earnings. Now, those earnings could well drop in the next six, 12 months if we have a downturn or, or God forbid, a recession. But if you think out three, five, seven, 10 years, I think you're going to look back at the Shabby Hi-Fi share price today and, and see it as a pretty good bargain. Um, it's not, as I said, without risk. It's not the cheapest stock on the ASX, but I think it's a really, really high-quality business available for a very good price that if you can see through the volatility of the next, well, last six months, certainly maybe the next six or nine months, or maybe not, by the way, it could be all fine and might blow over, um, but despite what happens in that period of time, it will emerge almost certainly, in my view, a stronger, more dominant market position than it goes in because it is the weaker ones that tend to go by the wayside. Mm. Uh, so if I look out to 2025, 2028 and say, 
Is JB Hi-Fi bigger, better, more profitable retail than it is today? I think the answer is yes. If you can buy that company for eight times current earnings, I think that's a very good price. I think investors who do so will be very well rewarded, plus a nice little dividend that goes along with it as well. And it's got a good brand for value, doesn't it, Scott? If, it if, we, if we go into tough economic times yeah. and people want to buy um, an entertainment centre or whatever, JB Hi-Fi does come to mind rather than just shop around. You think, well, the stalls are so cluttered, there are so many sales signs up, I must be getting yeah, a good yeah. deal. <laughs> they have done a remarkable job with this, mate. And you're right, from the very beginning, the, the whole handwritten you know, chalkboard style yeah. pricing, the, the full stores. Chemist Warehouse, by the way, do this incredibly on the pharmacy space. It's exactly the same model. You, you've got to deliver on the price, of course, and both of them do because scale begets lower prices. The lowest cost of doing business, by the way, as a percentage of sales, I'm pretty sure in retail with the maybe the exception of Bunnings, I don't, I don't know, but really just incredibly profitable retail. They've got the model absolutely down pat. Look, people will probably keep shopping around, but again, JB's kind of the cheapest out there, generally yeah. speaking. The online uh, ex, uh, experience is fantastic. I bought on, in store, I bought online. I don't own shares, by the way, I should do. Um, it, it's, it's one of those companies that I think ha- is gonna have a lock on the consumer, either the brand preference up front, as you say, the perception of, of value, but again, you go. It's very hard to beat JB on price. I, I've shopped around before. Um, I think JB is one of the one of the best options out yeah. there. So, yeah, look, it could be it could be tougher times. People may not buy the computer. They may not upgrade the TV, as Henry said. We've done a lot of that over the last two years. So, I wouldn't be at all surprised if sales are softer over the next six or twelve months. Um, but I don't think you need to necessarily worry about that given today's price. If you do have that three plus year time horizon. Yep. All right, uh, Amelia. Henry wants a view on CSR, the big building products group uh, here and in the US? Yeah, well, there we go. Big building. <laughs> you know, when we're talking about the housing market, I guess to some extent, mm. uh, you know, CSR is very, very exposed to that. So it's yeah. it's pretty hard to get excited about CSR, I must admit. And, um, you know, looking at the chart, you know, it's recovered a little bit, but um, I, I find it hard to get excited about this one. Uh, I find it hard to get excited about anything at the moment that's really geared to that housing cycle. I think the housing market is still going to remain, <coughs> excuse me, under under pressure um, from uh, from the economic uh, fallout of inflation. So, um, yeah, for me, I think this is it's not a sell. It's I, I'm going to have more holes than Greco-Roman wrestling at the moment. Um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Excuse me, but um, yeah, it's um, it, it's definitely a hold at these kind of levels. It has recovered, um, but you know, if if you want leverage to the uh, to a better market, I think there's probably better ways to play okay. uh, the leverage in the system than this one. I mean, JB Hi-Fi may be one of the better ones to play for, for that leverage. But yep. um, uh, Scotty's right, you know, in terms of the um, of the way the pricing point works with those handwritten things. It's incredibly powerful, mm. um, you know, and it always feels like you're getting a bargain and you can always ask for a, um, for a new or a bit of negotiating on price, which is all, you know, it's back to the Monty Python, you, you know, you've got to haggle. Yep. I don't think there's much haggling uh, going on with CSR, though, and, you know, I think there's, <laughs> there's going to be some renovation projects that are put on hold. The U.S. Yeah. housing market is still sort of stumbling around. We're seeing, uh, you know, deterioration there. Uh, we're still seeing, you know, elevated raw material costs. So uh, for me, I think there's just better ones to play for the bounce yep. uh, than CSR. Uh, do you get excited by CSR, Scott? No, and, and pretty much for the reasons Henry's already mentioned. I, uh, you know, they're cyclical and they're cyclical, right? Re- retail, discretionary retail is a little bit cyclical. 
Um, then you got the car sales, which are more cyclical. Then on top of that, you got building materials, which are absolutely boom and bust type stuff. And I think there's one thing to say, hey, maybe JB Hi-Fi sales are a little bit depressed, maybe even profit falls a little bit, but it'll be okay. Um, building materials, these things almost grind to a metaphorical halt uh, at some point in the cycle. And you got to work out how much to pay, what the earnings power through the cycle looks like. The more boom and bust it is, the more careful you've got to be about taking past earnings and extrapolating forward. Um, the longer you can go back to find an average earnings power, then you work on the price from that perspective. Challenge for us is Australia hasn't had a proper recession since the early 1990s, right? There was the COVID mm. recession, which really wasn't one. Um, there was the GFC, we kind of dodged a bullet because we managed to, thanks to China, um, to largely avoid most of the downside there. So, you know, trying to find what, what is the average earnings power of CSR through an earnings cycle, I don't know you can know with any degree of confidence. It's possible to guess and maybe you get it roughly right, but it's really, really tough. Again, though, to Henry's point, if you want to buy in building materials, I own shares in Brickworks for full disclosure, but I think that is a far, far better quality uh, building materials player. Of course, you have the Solpats add-on that, that really changes that, makes it a more diversified um, business, not a pure building materials company. But if you want exposure to that space, with the backing of something like Solpats, I own shares of Solpats as well, by yeah. the way, but they're kissing cousins anyway. Um, I think Brickworks is the, is the place to go. CSR looks cheap on, on earnings. You've got to be really careful with cyclicals. At the time when this, the PE looks cheapest is actually the time to avoid them, generally speaking, because that's generally on the back of peak earnings, um, and they don't tend to, by definition, stay around very long. So yeah, I agree with Henry. Um, there are better better ways to play in general, and building materials in particular than CSR. Okay. Uh, what about explosives? Go from building materials, a fertilizer and explosive. Nicole wants a view on, on Orica, chemicals and explosive business, mainly uh, in the mining uh, industry, 50 countries mm -hmm. around the world. It's, in, it's, it's a big company now, isn't it, Orica? It, it's massive and, it, and it's got it's got fingers in lots of different pies which actually makes it a little bit lower risk than some others if you can get geographic and, and commodity diversification you're doing reasonably well um, now that doesn't mean that you know if an economic downturn happens a lot of those industrial commodities will fall at roughly the same rate so you're not going to get protection in and of itself but you'd rather be there than a single commodity or, or be too concentrated in a single commodity or a single geography that being said, as I said, it is a globalised world and a globalised market for these commodities. They tend to move in roughly the same directions most of the time with economic circumstances. Um, Orica is a good quality business. I, I like the fundamental business. I think you know it, it is a, has a very good position in the market, very well known, very good reputation. Um, it is going to continue to be in demand for a very long time to come, unless and until we stop mining all of a sudden. So it, it's a it's a it's a nice business to be part of. There are going to be ebbs and flows when it comes to the amount of new work being done, the amount of explosives required from Orica. And we know um, this can be a really cyclical business despite what otherwise you would expect to be a reasonably workmanlike operation. Uh, they're explosives used regularly across the world and certain across commodities. 20 and a half times earnings on my numbers though just looks too expensive, even despite the fall you're seeing there. Um, if you're gonna play, look, now would be the time probably. If you, if you liked it a while ago, um, maybe you'll like it more with a long-term outlook. Uh, but I just think that cyclicality mm. is just not something I want to go and play with necessarily to get these sort of earnings levels. It wouldn't it be much cheaper, quite honestly. Um, another 20% cheaper, I'd probably be pretty keen. Um, I think you can get, and if you got down to 16 odd times earnings, the risk reward changes pretty decently. But because right. of the volatility in its business, again, a little bit like CSR, nowhere near to the same degree, you just got to be really careful extrapolating that level of earnings yeah. forward too far when you're paying more than 20 times. Um, you just want to be a little bit careful because it may not be the business is, is bad, uh, but if you pay too much for a business that won't have astonishing mm. levels of growth, you may never be able to make back the valuation error. So, uh, Sib, are you just avoiding the sector? 
Like, is no, in, is uh, Intertech Pivot a, um, a better option or? Mate, I haven't looked at that one really recently, so let me quickly try and pull it up. No, I'm not avoiding the sector. This this one's more a price than a, right. than, a okay. um, than, than a than an industry. So I wouldn't necessarily say avoid Orica for, for good right. or even avoid okay. pivot for good. Yeah, okay. um, almost got it here. It is. Well, I mate, it says six times earnings on my numbers. I'd have to. I, that looks too cheap. I'd have to double check that one. I've got to say, but no, I'm not avoiding the sector. I just don't want to pay too much right. for it. Okay, Henry, Orica. There's a there's a sector. <laughs> well, well, there's two companies. There's two, but there's two companies. I don't think that makes a sector. You know, that I'm makes... a, I'm a, I'm a big picture man. I talk it oh. up. I'm a professional. That's, that's like... I'm a professional bullshitter. But that's like Noah's Ark, isn't it? It's like saying there's an elephant sector on Noah's Ark, but there's there's two of them. Well, the unicorn sector yeah, struggle. Fair Henry, point. I mean, you know, if, fair you, point. if you forget about it, you're in all sorts of trouble. Fair point. Now, go, going back to Orica, um, this this one, I've got to say, looking at the chart, I get the feeling this is a buy. So I'm going to put a buy Allee. on this. Um, there are some caveats, though. I have to yeah. say, these guys took a very opportunistic capital raise, 650 million bucks as they as they walked up the gangplank onto the ark with their fellow um, beside them in Incitech in, in Pivot. They raised 650 million bucks for a $260 million acquisition of a, a company called Axis uh, Mining, which is a, a mining sort of technology company, um, which is all well and good. But you know, it was trading at a, a one-year high, a 52-week high, when they hit the market at 16 bucks for this capital raise, and it has tanked. It's fair to say this was not a popular deal. If you're going to raise excess funds, which is what they did, you know, 400 million bucks excess, and they got an SPP in place, uh, not that that's going to get away, 75 million bucks, no one's going to apply for stock there. But, um, you know, at these kind of prices, $13.50, it has been smashed. And I kind of like hunting for things that have mm. been smashed. Now, I wouldn't imagine that it's going to have a big trot back up to 17 bucks again, uh, where it was before the capital raise. But there's probably a bit of upside here um, as uh, people start to go, you know what, maybe it's been oversold. Um, I was going to say something to, uh, to B word, but it has been really oversold, I think, at these kind of oh, levels. And that know. weight of that acquisition, of course, acquisitions always carry risks, execution risk, the market uncertainty, etc. And you've got to sell it to the market. Now, they, they clearly did a, a rubbish job in selling the acquisition to the market and raising extra funds. Now, they've got higher cost pressures coming through, higher energy costs, higher labor costs, all those things. But everything has a price. And I think $13.50 for Orica mm. is a not unreasonable price to be starting to nibble away at this one and uh, if we get some good news or even you know, some half-decent news from Orica, uh, maybe some of those shorts, maybe some of those hedge funds that took the stock and just dumped it will think twice and start okay. to buy back in again. So for me, um, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's going to explode to the upside, um, but um, certainly at these kind of levels, double bottom, you just kind of get the feeling that this could pop okay. anyway. All right. So for me, it's a buy. Good stuff. Uh, Matt Henry wants a view on Warley, the uh, the services business, project management business, mainly in the energy, chemicals, and resource sector. Would you be nibbling at Warley? Um, yeah, I think this is another 
uh, nibbler, um, I have to say. The uh, Wally, for many, many years, was always um, sort of geared to the oil price. Let's face it, we always, when, when the oil price was running, and I think the oil price has got more running to do, given we've got an OPEC meeting this week and we are going to see uh, some production cuts potentially. Clearly, the Saudis want to get the oil price back up again, especially as we head into winter in the Northern Hemisphere. So there's going to be some uh, some interest there for sure. I, I think Wally, again, it's been punished. You know, here we are, you know, got punished back down to 12 and a half bucks at the end of September. It's starting to make a move. It does always seem as a proxy for the oil price. I think the oil price is going to push higher. Of course, Wally has diversified away from just oil uh, company services, and it, it's also more in chemical speciality businesses as well. But I think, you know, this one has got potential. So I think this, again, is a buy. It's not going to go nuts, but uh, you could easily see this $14, $14.50 if the market continues to recover as we've seen today. Of course, today mm. could just be a, a one-hit wonder. Okay. But, um, I, I think we could see this one push up above 14 bucks. So on that basis, it is a buy for me. Oil price uh, gearing, although it's not really true, but people do tend to still put it in the same yep. basket as the oil price, I have to say. Yep. Scott, uh, Henry's on a roll. Are you going to add to it or pour cold water on Morley? I'm going to pour <laughs> lukewarm water on it. Oh. I, 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 won't, I won't call it a sell. I think it's a... Uh, Again, it's a quality business. The, the yeah. challenge is twofold. Um, if you look at the look at the chart of earnings, they've declined most years for the past ten. This is a business that is really struggling to grow sales and profits at a meaningful level uh, on a on a per share basis for a very very long time. So so there's that. I think on the other hand, you're also paying 22 times earnings for the for the business. And I think look, Henry may be right. And again, it's, it's all about timeframes, right? So could it go to 14, 14, 50? Yeah, very possibly. Um, as a long term investor, am I confident I'm going to get market beating returns over three, five, and seven years from here, owning Wally, buying Wally at the current price at 13 bucks 17 or so. Um, no, I'm not. And, and that's kind of what it comes down to. Um, maybe there's some money to be made in the short term. I wouldn't be surprised if Henry's right, particularly as he says, if the oil price continues to recover, you may well see um, that a kind of correlation assumed by the market. There might be a chance to, to make a few bucks on that one. Um, but over time, if we assume the market also continues to recover, if you think about the likely growth of, of the market itself over those next, say, five years. I think, can Wally pace that and then beat it over that period of time? I just don't see any evidence. Based on the, uh, I said, the growth in sales and earnings or the lack thereof, um, that's been a very tough business to have owned and made money from. Based on, the, the again, the, the overall trajectory of the company, will it do okay? Will it be around? Probably, yeah. Um, do I have a, a high degree of confidence it's going to match or beat the market? I really, really don't. And certainly, historically, it hasn't done that. So, I'd be, I'd be happily giving this one a, a wide berth. Again, in the short term, it can move very, very differently based on that commodity exposure. And, or, or again, the, the, the presumed, as Henry said, or the, the assumed commodity exposure isn't even really the case. Um, the assumption is just more a higher price means more work, and that's probably not miles away, uh, but it does seem like a, a silly-ish thing to, to assume as investors over that, over that shorter time period. But the share price could always go higher. No, as a, as a long-term investor, it's a hold for me. And probably even a hold at best, any more expensive, I'd probably honestly be selling it uh, with that long-term view, just because I really don't think it's going to keep up with the market over that time frame. Okay. All right. Let's uh, recap the uh, the first five stocks. Uh, sector of the day was gold. Um, Henry's happy to uh, hold stocks like some Barber and DeGray in um, 
uh, in the gold sector at the moment, but uh, not put any more fresh money in it. It's a no from Scott. Uh, LaVisa, a speculative buy from Scott, a hold from Henry. JB Hi-Fi, a buy from Scott, a hold from Henry. CSR, hold from Henry, a no from Scott. In that sector, he would prefer Brickworks. Uh, Orica, a buy from Henry, a no from Scott. And Wally, a buy from Henry and a hold from Scott. Uh, here on the call, we've been uh, tracking our own High Conviction Fantasy Fund, uh, which is picked by our investment committee. Uh, the last investment committee meeting for September is live on the platform at the moment, but the October meeting gets posted tonight for the uh, for the update there. So after the close of trade today, about 4.30, um, is the October movement and discussion on the portfolio there. In September, Universal Store, Next DC, the Lottery Corp, Brisbane and Oswids were, Oz Minerals were removed. Karoon, uh, Boss and Sol Pats, along with Premier Investments and South 32 were added. If we take a look at how the portfolio is going, down about 3% since the 1st of March. And uh, keep sending your requests in for the call, of course, because that's the first filter to get to the investment committee. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Let's consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Uh, in our final half hour, we're going to be uh, having a look at Calix, uh, Sims Metal, Cooper Energy, Transurban and Cube. Um, Scott George wants a view on Calix. Um, sort of a, says it's in the, the wastewater and water treatment um, business, but it, it also had this process, didn't it, of... Uh, of taking CO2s out of mm -hmm. um, cement kilns as well. Correct, correct. Yeah, and it's also hoping to be able to use the same or similar technology to make green steel, right. uh, again, which is kind of low carbon low carbon steel. It's a really interesting one, Koshi, and it's, it, as always with these sorts of businesses, it's really hard, or maybe it's not so hard, but we should always remember to separate the story out from the business and the business from the valuation. Because there's three different things there. I think there's plenty of people who would say, wow, this could be amazing if it could happen, whether you are a blue sky investor, whether you're just someone who desperately wants this to be true or wants this to be doable or, or usable across the board as a as a uh, game-changing technology for some of this production. And frankly, as you said, um, they've been successful, right? So there's not, it's not a pie-in-the-sky question. The question, frankly, is how big can it get? Uh, how significantly does the company have a defensible patent in this area and or a competitor doing something different but gets the same results? because it's still very, very early days. It's a biggish business, a billion dollar odd market cap company, still not making any money though, and that's any profit. And that's the key challenge for the company. If you're a blue sky sort of person, you look at that and say, imagine if dot, 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 you know, there were more commodities, more countries, more technologies. What if they could use this sort of patent technology to do other things? That could be fantastic, could be huge. It's absolutely true, it absolutely could be. Alternatively, maybe this is one of those things where, hey, cool idea, and then in five years' time, we say, remember when that got bypassed by something else that does it better or differently? Again, Twee is doing green hydrogen, for example. Does that you know, change the game? So many different ways of producing green steel, also taking CO2 out of cement, and different people that are trying to come up with different solutions for the problem. The question as an investor is, is this worth a billion dollars? Because that is the only question for all of that other stuff. If you offer this business 
you had a billion dollars in the back pocket. Someone said, do you want to buy Calyx? He said, well, how confident am I that there's a level of supportable, demonstrable, continual levels of profitability? And how high is that? What does that look like? I just don't know. I don't think anyone knows. And so that makes it, as I said, I've said a couple of times, blue sky as an investment idea. I simply can't pay a billion dollars for a company that doesn't have profits. Um, maybe it's going to be the next best thing. And it, maybe it will be. And that, that'd be great for everybody. If it could be, you know, a great environmental outcome, great for the current shareholders, uh, great for those companies using the, the, the product, that kiln, that'd be fantastic. Um, I don't know how you value something like this objectively mm. with any degree of confidence. So I'm simply, it's just in the too hard basket for me. I wouldn't own it in the first place. Would I sell it? I don't know, mate. I, if I wouldn't own it, it's hard to say I'd, I'd hold it. Um, overall, I think I'd put my money somewhere else. Do I think yep. it's necessarily obviously overvalued? No, not really. I mean, I can't, again, if I can't value it to say it's a buy, I can't value it to say it's a sell either. Yep. It just simply puts it straight in the too hard basket. Okay. Henry, Calix? Um, I've got to say, Koshi, I disagree with Scotty, and uh, I have done probably most of this program, uh, which, which is not deliberate, but um, Calix uh, has been one of my favorites for some time. Bought it under two bucks. In fact, started talking about it around $1.20 or something. So it's done really, really well. Now, now Calix has got a process called a calciner, which does, as Scott says, it takes the, uh, the carbon uh, or the carbon dioxide, the nasty stuff out of the cement process. This is one of the big, big emitters in the world in terms of uh, you know, carbon emissions is the cement business. If we can get this right, this is huge. Uh, and I've spoken to Phil Hodgson in the past, who's the uh, the CEO of this one about this. And it's they're on the right track. Now, it's ironic that here we are at the moment, we're experiencing climate change to the max. And you know, we've got Hurricane Ian, Hurricane Fiona, uh, we've got uh, another uh, load of rain coming towards New South Wales and the East Coast, set for another six months, following on for two years of, uh, of, El, of La Nina. So we are seeing climate change across the board, yet because of what's happened to energy prices, because of what's happened in Ukraine, uh, we've kind of gone back to old school stuff, coal, talking about nuclear, we want oil, we, you know, we want certainty. But certainly this is part of the equation going forward now. Interestingly, we've got COP27 coming up in mm. November. And you'll remember that in the run-up to these sort of climate change, this is in, um, in the Middle East, this one. Uh, I think it's Saudi Arabia. Um, but so COP27 coming up, picking up, I think, the 6th of November to the 18th of November. And last year, when we were running into COP26, uh, the big climate change conference, and then uh, there was a massive focus on these sorts of stocks, greenification, uh, tackling climate change, these guys are part of that equation. And I think that, you know, they've been sold off big time, mainly because they're speculative. And of course, we've seen speculative stocks unwind. And as Scott says, you know, they don't make huge amounts of money. They haven't got huge amounts of revenue. So it's a pretty easy target. But at some stage, this one will turn around. And it's probably, when you look at the chart, it's probably not far away from that turnaround. It got down to $5.40 uh, back in uh, sort of the beginning of July. Uh, it got down to 5.40 back in February. So here we are at 5.60. It's not a million miles away from a turn, I suspect. So I'm going to put this one in the buy basket. This is uh, this is a stock that I hold in my small cap portfolio. Uh, not as much as I used to, because uh, I did sell along the way. But, you know, starting to uh, look relatively attractive okay. here. If we do get our speculative buying heads on again uh, with uh, this sort of pirouette we're seeing, in, uh, in sentiment overseas, then this one should do well. And it's very volatile, um, but it does attract the punters. Okay. So um, I'm, I'm nibbling on this All one. Right. Um, now, a much simpler business, 
Henry Tiki wants to be on Sims, uh, the scrap metal business. Uh, Sims, yes. Um, I've got to say, it's, it may be simpler, but it's not really that attractive. I think you've got cost pressures coming through in this one as well. Um, you know, this is probably, you know, this is part and parcel of, of everyday business at the moment. But the, the market, the results uh, recently were below forecast. Uh, and it's hard to get really excited about this. Economy is slowing, subsidies are starting to subside as well. Um, so, yeah, it's again, you know, you look at the chart, this has been whacked big time. So, part of me says, you know, you should be looking uh, from a technical analysis point of view that maybe it's, it's starting the bottom. You can see there on the chart. But the other thing says, you know, that there's probably better stocks play for a rebound um, the outlook was pretty cautious from management um, and they did flag softer economic conditions as a risk and we know okay. that we're in for some softer economic conditions so you know I wouldn't be throwing it out with the with the bathwater here I wouldn't be selling it because it has fallen you know from 22 bucks to uh, to under 14 but uh, equally I, I, I think there's simpler easier and better ways to play any mm. rebound and that this okay. is not really on my radar so Hold from me, okay. Only because it's uh, been whacked so much. Um, Scott, what do you think of Sims? And Henry wanted us to disagree. I'm going to agree with Henry. Uh, oh, I think, I think there you go. Agree. There we go. Uh, okay, it's not compulsory. Don't be bullied by him. Right? No, not at all. Not at all. Um, I, I, I think exactly. I, I can't disagree at all with any of his analysis. Is what it comes down to. I think you know if you look at the business. So the past year, the past two years were the two best years profit-wise in the company's history. And so they're doing something right. On the other hand, this tends to be a cyclical business. It tends to run to some degree uh, aligned with the iron ore price, not entirely, but to some degree, because obviously in the recycling game, the price of the raw material uh, does impact on the ability of you to, uh, for you to sell the recycled product at, at a decent margin. So they've had a good couple of years, partly operational, partly uh, partly commodity price. Now, as Henry said, the market was disappointed with the recent upgraded gold, sorry, recent uh, new guidance or, or changed guidance. Um, but it's, you know, it's done, it's done pretty well up to that point and it's really inexpensive on that trailing earning. So it's very hard to throw this one out. That said, you are relying on the uh, the, the commodity price or, or it's going to be a function of the commodity price in terms of its future profitability. You are going to a softer economy, a softer world where it's probable that if you don't have as much demand for that brand new commodity, the, the, the freshly dug up stuff, um, then the price that will likely fall in that context. So you don't have a lot of reason to believe that its margins are going to expand rather than contract. And management, as, as Henry said, has already flagged exactly that. So you're looking at a business that looks cheap uh, based on historical financials, probably isn't going to be once profit comes down. Again, I've talked before about cyclical um, uh, factors. I'd be less bullish on this or, or more bearish, probably is a better way to put it, if it wasn't coming back to a really, really good set of results. Because if that's all price, then so be it. But if there's something to the business which is actually structurally growing, then you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. So yeah, the price is down a lot. The PE looks cheap, coming from a really high level of, of past uh, sales and profits. So if it was CSR, I'd say, hey, sell it and walk away. Yep. But because of the what is probably, I think, a likely improvement structurally, and because we don't know exactly where this one goes, it's too cheap to sell. I know what I buy it, though, for exactly those reasons. So, yep, Henry and I are on a, uh, on a single ticket on this one. Uh, it's a hold for me as well. Okay. All right. A hold uh, on, uh, on Sims. Um, next stock that, uh, let's go, the energy sector. Roger wants mm. a view, Henry, on Cooper Energy. 
uh, a, uh, a gas and oil company um, project mainly in Australia. Yeah, a um, bit of a yawn this one, Koshi, I've got to say. that This has just gone, this has promised so much and delivered so little in so many ways. A lot of hot air, a lot of hot gas. These guys are trying to uh, produce enough from Orbost uh, to really tap into the, the spot market on the East Coast with those gas prices. You know, the problem with, with energy in Australia is it's a very political game because, you know, we should be, and, you know, I'm speaking to people overseas and they talk about energy price rises there and how electricity bills, et cetera, and gas bills going through the roof. And they say, what's it like in Australia? And you say, well, we've got tons of gas. We've got plenty of gas. There's no problem with gas. We've got it coming out of our ears. The problem is that we sell it overseas for much bigger prices, and then we leave ourselves short here. These guys trying to play into the, the domestic market more than those long-term overseas contracts for the likes of Woodside and Santos, etc. But the stock price has just gone absolutely nowhere. You know, it, mm. there's not a lot of interest in this. And if you want to play... East Coast gas with and the politics involved in that with energy prices and the new Labour government. Good luck. There's probably better ways to play it. You know, in theory, this should be a buy. In practice, for me, it's a hold, yeah. mainly because its track record has just been sideways with the odd spike. You know, it's traded between 22 cents and 29 cents for the last 52 weeks. So, yeah. you know, here we are at 25 and a half cents. There we're smack in the middle, toss a coin. But uh, the coin will probably say it will go up a little bit. But, you know, there's probably better ways to play energy prices. Uh, Scott, it looks pretty illiquid as well. It does. I haven't checked the liquidity, but that's a, it's not a pretty graph, is it? Mate, I, I look, I, you know my view on, on energy, generally speaking. It's not making a profit. It's made profit once in the last eight years. Um, you know, if you're, again, if you're a long-term investor, you're looking for cash flows and profits and growth and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, you know, anyone's guess to whether or when they get there, how good it would be, how big the company will be, what level of profits will be. Again, I'm back to that same story. It's really, really difficult to buy a loss-making company as a long-term investor unless you can see a level of sales growth that is structurally, you know, has some, has some momentum to it. The directory is heading upwards, and you can see a point at which the gross profit margin will turn into some net profit margin, and then sort of go from there. So, if you take a uh, Amazon's the easy example, right? I, I own shares for the record. 25 years of unbroken growth at, at you know double digit kind of you know high teens low 20s percentages you can do the maths on that you won't necessarily be right but you can see how it would or could become profitable how much that could be worth you can do those maths if you've got a cyclical business trying to pump enough gas to make a dollar um, maybe eventually based on the commodity price all that kind of stuff there's just way too many moving parts there are better ways to play energy in my mind if you want to to Henry's point it's been pretty underwhelming generally speaking as both an investment and as, a, as an operating entity as I said if you haven't made money in the last eight years or once in the last eight years you're asking me to believe you might possibly be able to and that uh, I, I might be able to value that or you're simply playing the price game and as Henry yeah. said technicals that makes some sense fundamentals very very difficult to take a to take a view on this one and say i think it's worth x dollars a share or x cents a share <clears throat> at some future point so it's a, yeah. it's a sell for me and and also as henry makes the makes the point uh this is a sector we have lots of stocks in this sector more than two uh <laughs> and, and we have some really good ones so why would you yeah. bother yeah oh look the, the answer would be if you thought there was some huge upside coming or if you if you if you want to believe the oil price is going to go higher and maybe Again, the, the leverage, leverage plays do better when rising commodity prices, generally yeah. speaking, than the unleveraged ones because there is simply more upside. If this can make some money somehow finally, 
you know, it, it, it goes up by a lot compared to, as I said, some of those bigger, better businesses that simply don't yep. have the same degree of upside because they're already making money. So there's, yep. I, I can answer your question hypothetically, but in the real world, I completely agree with you. Just yep. give it a wide berth. Okay. Um, Nathan wants a view, uh, Scott, on Transurban. Now, we're getting mm -hmm. a lot of people want views on Transurban. Yeah. They're thinking these infrastructure plays, the, it's one of the world's biggest toll road operators, gives you some certainty during an economic recession. It's one of those defensive mm -hmm. stocks. Is yeah. it true to value there? Is it, is it true to label or is that a bit of a myth? Do you know what? Uh, three years ago, I would have said, yes, absolutely. Because what could possibly stop people driving down a transurban toll road? It turns out the yeah. answer was COVID. And so we, we, know, we, we know the answer. And I think it's always nice to learn from history when, 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 when reality punches a hole in the, uh, the assumption, then you need to learn something from it. So two things. Look, God forbid there's another pandemic, right? So let's put that out of the equation. But we've also learned that we can work from home to, to varying degrees and, and to in varying amounts. And in a recessionary environment, are there fewer people going to work? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but I don't think it's as bulletproof as we once assumed. The other thing I want to uh, remind people is we're also in a, not we don't know this, we're in an environment of rising interest rates. And so in a series of economic weakness, operationally, is there material downside to its revenue? Probably not hugely. No, I don't think so. Um, and the prices are pretty protected because past governments um, took the easy, cheap option and sold out the taxpayer to, to, get, to get a good or the, the motorist uh, to get a, an inflation-linked toll on there for, for, for Transurban's benefit and the shareholders' benefit and those governments' benefits, by the way, because they got more for their buck because they, they pushed the toll down the, down the pike. Yep. Um, so there's, there, you know, there's, these, are, these are operationally good businesses. The problem is that Transurban and its ilk are better considered debt with a toll road attached rather than a toll road. Right? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a company short to stapled security. That debt is monstrous. And so you don't want to just think about operationally what will happen during a recession or a downturn. You should think about that. But also think about but what happens if and when debt continues to become more expensive. As they refinance debt in a more expensive debt world, what does that do to the shape of the profit and loss? Now, we know it's already on 300 and something times earnings because it's uh, taking advantage of some tax losses. But even the dividend itself has got to be paid or should be paid from some sort of sustainable cash flow. So I'm not bullish on Transurban, particularly not the current price. 3.8% dividends, okay, yeah. very decent, but it's not great. So I would be buying it for the income. And I just don't think if you look at that business and say, hey, am I sure the revenue is protected? Probably not. What do I think about the shape of the P&L and rising debt? Well, I'm not comfortable there either. Uh, I, it's come, it's come down a long way because the market knows this, by the way. None of what I've just said is, is brand new insights that no one's ever thought of. Um, the share price is down because of exactly this. I just wouldn't bet that the long-term returns from here are as good as we might like to think until we start to see that debt cost normalize as that some of that debt rolls off and becomes replaced by more expensive debt. You almost want to do that exercise and say, what would happen if the debt was had to be funded at one and a half or two percentage points more than its current debt? What does that do to the P&L then? What does it do to my dividend or my or my, uh, my PE? That's the maths I'd be doing first. I had a look at it. I don't think it's as attractive as it needs to be to make it a buy. I wouldn't sell it if I owned it. You probably, you know, A, you've been hurt by the falling share price already, but B, you probably like it for the dividend. You're probably happy that you diversified away from maybe the banks or Telstra. Um, so I wouldn't sell it, uh, but I wouldn't be buying it at the current okay. price. Henry? You could have just said, hold, Scotty. <laughs> Where's the fun in that? Instead of, instead of all that. that sort of stuff. <laughs> instead of instead of instead of that, uh, I've got to say I'm going to disagree with Scott completely. This is a buy. Oh. Um, I think this is a, one of those great inflation-proof companies because of mandated uh, toll rises. If anybody's been out and about driving around Sydney and elsewhere, you will have noticed that your toll just went up 
uh, beginning in <laughs> October. Uh, so, uh, and that will happen again every quarter they go up and it's either four point whatever percent or inflation. So uh, that's a year. So um, we are seeing toll rises. The other great thing about Transurban is, I know Scott talks about their debt. I think a massive amount of their debt is hedged for the next five years. Now, um, that to me is uh, pretty prudent, pretty smart. And uh, I think this one yeah. offers good value. It's been walloped down because of bond yields, et cetera. You could probably do the chart with uh, bond yields and Transurban and see the inverse relationship. You know, as bond yields rise, Transurban goes down, yada, yada, yada. We've all, we all know that one. It's, a, it's an easy sell. The fact is that Transurban have hedged a lot of their debt. Uh, it does offer that uh, gearing to the economic cycle, especially with cars on the road not just in Australia, but it has got a monopoly position here, but also in the US. And uh, the um, to me, this is a screaming, okay. screaming, screaming buy. buy. Honk okay. your horns, Transurban users. Right. Honk your horns out there. And and the issue, the issue, the only thing I disagree with is when you said you would have noticed your tolls have gone up on the 1st of October. Well, yeah, no one does notice. because it just goes beep, beep. I have no idea on my tolls at the moment, and it just you, comes you know, as a lump on my credit I, card. You know what, Koshi? I got, I got a text the other day from uh, the Transurban people saying they had some unpaid tolls. Uh, so I checked and uh, phoned them up. My wife phoned them up because I get too, uh, too annoyed with the people on the call center. Um, no, and they wanted to charge a $60 me. administration fee. <laughs> this toll went back to 2015. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. How does, how does that happen that I don't get... You know, it's taken yeah. seven years for them to chase. There's something wrong there somewhere. Well, but if, yeah. but they did waive the $60 administration fee okay. and just charge well, the $3. That, that is interesting to how, uh, yeah. how efficient they collect the ping every time we go by. <laughs> uh, final yeah. stop, we'll need to uh, get through this pretty quickly because of time. Henry, uh, you've all, already disparaged it because you thought it was going to be <laughs> higher up on the list. Is Cube, the old Patrick's, the Steve Adoring business. Uh, runs container operations, tugs and the like. What do you think of Patrick? Um, well, if, if you'd have talked to me before, the Productivity Commission uh, talked about um, the regulation of uh, container terminal operators, then I'd have probably said this is not a bad price to get in. But I think that changed the game a little bit. A little bit of uncertainty for me. I'll keep it short and sweet. This is a hold, uh, mainly because the price has suffered. But, um, you know, that, that to me, you know, you look at that, it's fell off a cliff on the back of that uh, that ruling. Nobody's yeah. particularly uh, impressed with that. So it, it's a hold mainly because it's too too oversold and too bashed up to get really negative on, but equally, again, better things elsewhere. Yep, Scott? Yeah, I'll echo Henry's, Henry's points. Uh, it looks a bit too expensive to me, quite honestly, but given the share price fall, uh, maybe the market's a bit more bullish than I give it credit for. The, the earnings are pretty much they, they continue to get worse. They're trending down over that 10-year period with the occasional spike. Um, but but there's, there's no sense this is an improving business. Um, maybe finally, after 10 years, it starts to improve at some point, but it doesn't look likely to me. You're paying a, a pretty penny for that. So I don't I don't like it at all. But given the price has declined, I probably wouldn't rush out to sell it at the current price. You yeah. might get something more for it at some point in the future. But I'd happily be I'd be on my ready-to-sell list. Um, oh. If I got if I got a meaningfully higher price, I'd happily take it, take the money and run. Right. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, just it, it, the business is not a growing business, not a well performing business. It's a company. The longer you own a moderate, a mediocre business, the, the worse your returns are likely to be. So if you're going to offer a higher price, take it. Uh, in the meantime, hold. Okay.
Scott Phillips from Motley Fool, Henry Jennings from Marcus today. Always a delight to have you two on. A lot of fun and incredibly informative. So appreciate your time today on a Tuesday. My pleasure. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Scott. They are a great double, aren't they? Love having the two of them on. Bit of humour, but so much information. It's fabulous. All right. Calix, uh, a buy from, uh, from Henry, a no from Scott. Uh, Sims Metal, a hold from both. Uh, Cooper Energy, a sell from Scott, a hold from, uh, from Henry. Transurban, a screaming buy from Henry as an inflation head. Hedge, a hold from Scott and uh, from both Henry and Scott. Uh, Cube is a hold. Coming up next on the small caps, Claude Walker from A Rich Life gives us three small caps he's keeping an eye on. Plus, Andrew Smith from Credit Clear talks us through his plans for growth after achieving record revenue in August. Uh, that's it for our show. Don't forget, if you've got any stocks that you want me to put to the expert panel, email them, the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at TV handle. And all the stocks in the calls portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. But, but the October Investment Committee is um, meeting, is invested on the, um, or posted on the platform 4.30 this afternoon. So that's the very latest one. Um, and all of the stocks will go up in the uh, portfolio there as well. So 4.30 this afternoon, you don't want to miss it. Really interesting discussion on the balance of the portfolio and how it should be adjusted. Small caps are next after this.